greet you in Jesus' name this morning. Challenged by the Sunday school lesson. And convicted. Very much so. You talk about judging and talk about <clears throat> helping each other on the way to glory. I have to confess sometimes some of my greatest struggles in relation to the subject of judging is when someone comes to help me and give some correction and suggestion in my life. The first carnal inclination that, that I struggle with is, first of all, who do they think they are? And second of all, they have a, they have don't have much to say because they have lots of other problems themselves. And if you really think through that, that is playing directly into the hands of the devil. First of all, we're catering to our carnality. That's downhill to start with. Second of all, we're avoiding the truth. So is it true? And if it's true, then aside from who said it, really doesn't matter. If it's true. And if I take offense to it, then that builds a, a, a fence between me and the person that is attempting to help me. See, the whole thing escalates straight downhill. That's what happened. How am I supposed to know how much courage and prayer that it took for that person to approach me and say, this is what I see? Shouldn't I be thanking them for it? Anyhow, that's not my subject this morning. But I'll admit, I have struggled with that. And not just a few hours, but days. It's like, anyhow, I won't go over it again. <clears throat> I post little notes on my desk of thoughts that I run across here and there. And there's one been hanging there for a while. And uh, I wondered what was going to come of it. And it simply says this. To simplify means to eliminate the unnecessary so that the necessary may speak. To simplify means to eliminate the unnecessary so that the necessary may speak. Now, I don't know about you, but I sometimes envy people with very simple, straightforward lifestyles, uh, you know, somehow or the other. And, and I say, well, you know, if I just got rid of this and got rid of this and got rid of this, you know, just simplify, then my life would be better. Well, this saying says, yes, you can you can eliminate the unnecessary. But unless there's a goal in 
eliminating the unnecessary, it's kind of somewhat semi-futile, I guess. Maybe you're a little bit better off, but maybe not. So it's saying that we need to simplify with a purpose. And that is so that the necessary may speak. So, it takes a while for me to cogitate over that one and to think it through what is unnecessary, what's necessary. Am I drowning out the necessary by cozying up to the unnecessary? And then I was given a book recently, and I can't recall the title. I think it got packed up with the books when we emptied the study to paint the wall. So I just kind of, I'm going to take a shot at the title. But I know it was written in 1985, and I found it very intriguing. I think the title was uh, Entertaining Ourselves to Death. And written 1985, and uh, I found it extremely intriguing. And I'm not through it, all right, because it's kind of, I, I have to think, I, I like Dwight says, in my small mind, I have to absorb these things. No, no, he says every once in a while, in my small mind, I see it this way, but. Anyhow, in this book and on entertainment and so forth, this man, I don't even know that he's a Christian, uh, he makes the argument, one of the arguments that he makes is, and it's relation to communication and it's relation to words, is that the more words there are, the less value that we put on each one. Now that, that got my wheels turning. All right, and you use the illustration that previous to the telegraph, all communication was either verbal or by letter, all right? So basically, long-distance communication was by letter. So if you wrote a letter, you sat down, and the letter was not 37 pages long. You condensed what you wanted to say in probably two or three pages, and you put the stamp on, and the Pony Express took it to wherever you wanted to take it, and... That was pretty much that, all right? And the advent of the telegraph, the ability to transfer volumes of information from one point to the other, volumes in their mind, dramatically changed what the current newspapers offered. Because there simply wasn't information to transfer. 
One after the Telegraph, one of, I think it was a New York newspaper, bragged that they had 2,000 words in their newspaper in one day. They came across the Telegraph. And that was amazing. Now, how many here know what a tabloid newspaper is? Put your hand up high. Anybody under... 30, put your hands up high if you don't know what a tabloid newspaper is. It's fine. Put it up. Don't know what a... Good. I'm, I, I'm so blessed that you don't know what a tabloid newspaper is. You're way better off not knowing. Uh, maybe I could rephrase it. Do you know what a gossip magazine is? All right. All right, these tabloid newspapers, when I was growing up, they don't make a newspaper form anymore, very, very few, but they used to have these little newspapers. They were, you know, when you fold them out, they're about this big. And it had all the garbage that anybody wanted to know about any movie star or about, it was just stupid stuff. I mean, it was just like... I don't know why this sticks in my mind, but I walked one by one time and this lady had a baby that was half human and half rabbit. Alright? And I always, you know, whatever I did see, and it had a picture and they were so foggy that you couldn't tell what it was even if you thought it might be a baby and a rabbit. I, you know, I, I don't know how they did it, but there was no clear pictures at least on the front of, now you see it in a magazine, well, you know, what Harry and Meghan, are, you know, they're going to get divorced, and, you know, it's like all these things. You just see them at the, you know, whatever. But I find this extremely interesting that at the before the advent of the telegraph, this man says, there was not tabloid information being put into newspapers. It just wasn't there. Okay, so the advent of the telegraph, with the increase of communication, the trash started coming with the good stuff. So then the radio arrived, and eventually the television, and he asked the question, what difference... Is there in our ability to, not our ability to absorb, the, the, the material that we absorb, the difference between what came across at the advent of the telegraph and what is coming across in the advent of the television and in relation to also the radio. So every word with the increase of the amount of words, every word is worth less. So one of the reasons you don't see as much tabloid, and I found this extremely interesting, uh, Matt Landis talked about technology in Maranatha, and he said the reason why the tabloid magazines or the tabloid newspapers are struggling and can't hardly 
keep sales up is because the tabloid information has infiltrated the news. And so why do you need a tabloid magazine to figure out all the garbage is what's happening in the world in, in relation to the movie stars and all this stuff? It, it's it's just put in the news. So, I mean, it's like at one point they'd have been ashamed to put it in there. But now it's just common. So then my mind starts going other directions. Is this true? And you can think about this this week. Is this true? Is the principle true that the more you have of something, the less each individual bit is worth? Say you worked when you were a child and somebody gave you a $5 bill. Maybe you had $25 in the piggy bank and they gave you a $5 bill and your eyes almost popped out of their head, out of your head. I remember working in my dad's store sorting pop bottles and we didn't get paid and somehow somewhere along the way we deci they decided that we should get paid. I guess we should get old enough to get paid and so so we'll kind of try to make things up. I was given a $20 bill. So this is for all the back labor. Labor? I'm not sure it was. Effort however meager it may be, had been. But anyhow, I got a $20 bill. And that was probably as much as I had in my piggy bank up to that point. I can't guarantee that. So what's a $20 bill worth now? Uh, and I understand there's inflation and all that. Does it make a difference if you have two twenties in your wallet or if you had 30, 30 twenties in your wallet? Would the 30 twenties, each of them be worth as much as if you only had two? So then I'm thinking, this obviously must apply, if it applies, it must apply to earthly material things. It certainly can't apply spiritual things. The more you have of God, the better off you are. Okay. So you can't say, the more I have of God, the less each part of him that I appreciate, I am. Think about that. To what's necessary. I don't know about you, but I think it's 
I, I think it's normal that a person wants more. All right, we, we want to improve ourselves. We, we want to we want to be a a better person, or we want you know it's just like yeah, I want I want to, I want to see some progression in my life. Okay, and and I think that is I actually I believe thoroughly that that is a God given motivation. Okay, that in itself, aside from everything, I believe is a pure motivation. All right. Now, what I do with that motivation is going to determine how I live, and it's ultimately going to determine my my eternal destination. All right? What I do with wanting more, how I direct that wanting more, is going to determine a lot of things in my life. Do I understand that more of some things is going to make my life less meaningful? If it's more of something else, it may make my life more meaningful. And do I understand or make conscious choices that those decisions are going to carry me where I want to go. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 12... Jesus addresses the issue or the question, or the dynamic of what is necessary. And this whole thing of what is necessary and, and what should be more of and less of the more you think about it, at least for me, the more I think about it, the more broader that that subject gets. I mean, this man in the book was addressing words. All right? But in this case, Jesus addresses life and material possession. We're going to read Luke 12, 13 to 40. Now, I'm not sure if I'm going to get through this all, so... I'm scheduled to speak, preach in two weeks, so I'm not in a jam here. And I just said that too many words make what you say each one more trivial. So I have no intentions of going until 12 o'clock today, all right? So uh, we're going to go just a little while, and, and then we're just going to quit if, if it appears, and I believe it will appear that I'm not going to get done. So, um, so Luke 12, 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who make me a judge or a divider over you? And he saith unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a rich man brought forth 
plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, So thou hast much goods laid up for many years, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for your body, what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to a stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothe the grass, which today is in the field, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, how much more shall he clothe ye, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink. Pardon me. Neither... Be ye of doubtful mind, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, and treasure in heaven which faileth not. Where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning, and you yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord, when he shall return from the wedding and when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet, and he will come forth and serve them. And if ye shall come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know, that if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Alright, I would like to encourage all of us, myself included, to exclude... Or, or, or discipline our minds this morning to think about my own life, all right? We naturally have this problem, an inclination, when somebody's talking about material goods, we say, well, he has more than I do, so I can just relax. And, and you know, we do this comparison thing that the Bible says is not wise, and and... You know, we just have all these mental exercises. I, I would just encourage us to just lay it aside and see what the Bible says about these things. Well, Jesus makes this statement, very simple, profound statement, that a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things Okay, life does not consist of the abundance of things. That's it. 
do I grasp that simple, profound truth? That if I, want to li- if I want to live the life that God wants me to live, that th- the thing part is not part of the equation. Now, to me, that stretches my mind. That that stretches my mind. So if it doesn't consist in things, then the question automatically arises, what does it consist of? We have to answer that question. Does it consist of how long I live? Till somebody lives to be 80, they have a distinct advantage over somebody who has lived to 23 or 30 or 33 does that consist of my character? Does it consist of my relationship with God? Does it consist of how I treat others with kindness, with mercy? Does it consist of whether I'm increasing in my relationship with God and closeness with God? Is that different if I'm making progress or if I'm just muddling along? What does it consist of? Jesus point blank eliminates one whole section. Boom. Things are out of the equation. All right? You get that all out. I mean, all out. Whether you have a dime in your pocket, you have 10 cents in your pocket, whether you own your house, whether you own your car, whether you, uh, how much money you have in the bank, or, uh, all, all, anything that has that 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 is out of the equation. We set that over here, and we set it there, and it's useful for what it is, and it serves us, but it doesn't determine or define quality of life. It just simply doesn't. I'm not sure about you, but I wonder if any of us typical North Americans can get a hold of that. 
I just wonder. Then Jesus says, take no thought for your life. Okay, so things is not part of it, but then he says, don't take thought for your life. So what does that mean? I shouldn't plan for tomorrow. Should I worry about my life? Question. Does God expect Christians, us here today, to bear the burden of the typical North American non-Christian? Does God expect us to do that? Anybody here ever hear the word coronavirus? Let me ask you something this morning. What burden has that laid on the typical North American non-Christian? Does God expect us to bear the same burden in relation to coronavirus? I'm getting very practical today. Does God expect the Christian to bear the same burden about coronavirus as the non-Christian in America. Does he does he expect us to bear the same degree Now I'm tight. I'm in a bind here. Does he expect us to be fearful? Should we lay awake at night worrying about whether coronavirus is going to Come into Prairie Mennonite Church and maybe take a few out. Does he expect us to bear? the burden of fear, the burden of shame that the non-Christian bears. 
And we're talking about what life consists of. Man, I know I'm not getting done. I ain't even started in the first section here. <clears throat> but I'm, I'm serious about this. I'm not promoting you licking the handle of the public restroom faucet. All right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying, should fear be the prevalent emotional reaction or should trust in God be the emotional reaction? And using the wisdom and common sense that he gives us. I'm intrigued when I'm talking about quali- I'm talking about what life consists of and the fear and the shame that goes with it. I get my meds at high V, alright? Whether it makes any difference to you or not. I don't know if it does or not. Probably shouldn't. But I stand, the line that you stand to wait to get up to the counter is within eyeshot of the wine and spirit door. And I find it extremely interesting to watch the people come out of the wine and spirit door carrying their packages. They are full of shame. They are not light, looking around, smiling. They are sober, and they're looking at the floor. Because they're saying, I need alcohol to cope with life. Why, from a business perspective, why does Walmart put their spirits door on the side of the building where the general public don't see? Why they do that? To save the face of a shamed customer. They can walk in and get their wine and their spirits. They can walk out to the car and nobody in the parking lot, main parking lot, sees that they must depend upon alcohol. It has a lot to do with how much they sell, I would at least suspect. No, no thought for your life. Does that mean we, we have carelessly neglect about our future? No, no, no. Does that mean we just quit working and we don't care about our families? No, no, no. That's not what it means. That means that our life should be distinctly and dramatically different from an unsaved person. That's what it means. We have a God that is already in our future. We have a God 
that already has lived our days. We have a God that is going to do with coronavirus what he plans to do. Maybe God will awake the church of Jesus Christ with the coronavirus. I don't know. But God knows. We need to be wise. We need to be vigilant. But God knows. Jesus calls it covetousness. Be aware of covetousness when it comes to material things. Um, a quarrel broke out here. Or at least a, a count of an a quarrel. I find it interesting. So he's saying, um, you know, whoever's confessed me before the angels, uh, he's going to deny me. And he says, uh, whoever works beside, uh, you know, says a word against the Son of Man, blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, and and they bring you in the synagogues, and the magistrates don't worry about what you're going to say. He's going to give you the, the what to say. The Holy Spirit, it's going to be. Uh, teaching you what you ought to say, and this guy says, oh, by the way, Master, hey, uh, I've got a problem with my brother here. Now, wait a minute, even the subject, he butts into this thing totally out of whatever. In the middle of all this, he starts, he's like, i got this problem with my brother. Totally out of place. Like if the preacher's up here preaching and somebody jumps up and says, uh, uh, somebody, uh, you know, he's, he's talking about the coming of Christ or something, and a guy walk, gets up and, and he says, you know, uh, this, this business town in town ripped me off for $50. What am I supposed to do about it? Wait a minute, it's not even a subject. But Jesus paused. He's very kind, very considerate, very gracious. And he listens to the man's story. But he says, I'm not a judge. I'm not a divider. And he gives the story about the man with the barns, about he wanted more and And he forgot that Jesus said, wait a minute, you're supposed to take this all off and set it off the side here. Can I be so absorbed with things that are supposed to be set off the side that I forget that there's a higher calling in my life? Can I forget that? 
Can I be just like the man that's tearing down the barns? Can I be so busy and, and miss it all? Can I find it impossible to be content? Am I okay with what God has given me? Or can I say, um, yeah, well, this farm is over here is mine, and then this business over here is mine, and and um, yeah, the Lord gave me this, and and uh, you know, it's implying that the more I have, the more godly I am. First Timothy says that if there's people that suppose, now he says suppose, and it is a supposition. The person supposes that gain is godliness. What are you supposed to do? Someone tell me. <clears throat> From such turn away. That is the deception that God does not want us to become involved. He says the material possessions in James are a temptation, a snare, foolish and hurtful lust. It's a root of all evil. I don't know. I, I wonder... Anybody here trap? I try to trap, all right? But the rats are smarter than I am. So I'm not, I'm not too smart. I, I'm not sure how to get them. Uh, every once in a while, I think one will stumble into, but I have not. But, but something's about a trap. And I had two coons in my barn, and I'm not sure what happened to one, but I got one in the trap. You know what traps do? They kill. I do have a habit heart when I'm... I'm I don't have much heart for the things that I'm trying to trap, so I don't use have a heart traps for rats, okay, whatever. But they're they're meant to kill. And that's a snare is a trap. You get trapped, you're not going anywhere. You get trapped, you're gonna be hurting. You get trapped, and if somebody don't take you out of the trap, you're going to die in the trap. Do I understand the possibility, the capability of the desire for for more, which God gave me and I allowed to be misdirected, that has a capability of killing me. The potential is there.
See, the problem with the man in the barn, with the barn, was his vision was down here instead of up there. Can, is it possible that you'd be focused down here and focus up there at the same time? Is that possible? I guess if you were cross-eyed and you cocked your head sideways, maybe it might work. But everything would be out of focus for sure. You see, our, our, our time here is only temporary. I don't know. I don't know how much time I have. I don't know how much time you have. I may have more than you. You may have more than me. I don't know. It is impossible for us to calculate that out. So if we're only here temporarily, where do we lay our treasures? And you know what? Right here's where I'm going to stop. As I go to the next section, it's going to be 10 to 12. And we're not going there. So, think about it. And we'll just talk about this some more in about, in about two weeks, Lord willing. Let's kneel together in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you that your resources are without limit. Thank you that what you want us to know, you have given to us in your word. Thank you that small portions impact our lives in great ways. And the little section we've looked at today has tremendous impact on the way that we live, how that we see things, and what your will is for our lives. And I pray, Lord, you would give us presence of mind, spirit direction, to understand how you value things in this life and how you value eternal perspectives in our relationship with you. Pray, give us wisdom, give us grace, give us honesty. Help us to see ourselves our lifestyles, and the things you have given us to use with your perspective. In Christ's name, amen.